Digital marketing seems to be the mystery that most entrepreneurs struggle with, and real estate investors are no exception. The truth is, there are multiple avenues to success. Those experiences will be best shared by the guests on this podcast. My name is Jason Wright, and I would like to welcome you to Real Estate Investor Marketing Stories. What is going on? Jason Wright here, bringing you episode number 26 of the podcast. And you should know the drill by now. Before we get into the guest today, I'm going to share random thoughts with you. So in the last episode, I mentioned that I just moved my family from central Indiana down to coastal Georgia. And I'll be honest with you, one of the most interesting responses that, that I hear about this, friends, family, strangers, why? Why would you do that? Did you get moved for work? Those are obviously people that don't realize I work for myself. I'm like, no. They're like, oh, why would you leave all your family? Well, we'll still see our family, just maybe not as convenient, but I bet we'll see them just as much as we do now, honestly. And that's not a slight at anybody. So think about this, for example. If you want different results in business and in life, you need to sometimes change the variables. Okay, And this is me having a conversation with myself. I've gotten to where I've gotten to in business with certain variables in place. And I am a person who gets bored very, very quickly if I'm not striving for something, right? I'm a journey entrepreneur. I'm not a destination entrepreneur. So if I set a financial goal and hit it, and I don't have another one to hit beyond that, I'm deflated. I'm like, now what? So I always need purpose. I always need to be going for something. So part of the reason we moved is because we can if we built a location-independent business, what's the purpose of doing that if you don't ever live anywhere new? I've lived my entire life within a 45-minute circle in Indiana. I'm 40 well. There's no reason for it, so let's mix it up. The other thing is, what if moving to a new environment allows each person in my family to become a better version of themselves? People don't think about stuff like that, but Who's to say it can't work? Who's to say changing that variable won't be the best thing we've ever done? Something to think about, right? It's about fear. It's about stepping into fear. It's about stepping out of the comfort zone. I completely obliterated anybody's comfort zone in my house, including mine, by this move. So it is a factor in the move, but it is something that people who come to me and say, why, why would you do that? Something they don't think about, okay? Been here a week and a half. I can tell you I've never slept better. I sleep like a baby every night, so my need for melatonin's gone. Maybe it'll change over time, but so far, so good. I'm not taking headache medicine every day. Does it rain here a lot? Yeah, it's a coastal environment. But I will tell you, unlike Indiana, I do see the sun every single day. Every day I see it. So could there be something healthy to that? Could there be something healthy seeing palm trees at every window I look? Maybe. But I have a feeling this will end up being a wonderful move, not only for life, but for business. All right, let's talk about our guest. Our guest has the same first name as me, different last name. Uh, guest today is Jason Yerusi. Let me tell you what I know about Jason. He is the founder of his own company, Yerusi Holdings. He's got $200 million in assets under management across about 2,000 multifamily units. He is also the host of his own podcast. It is called Multifamily Live. He is an avid ultra runner and workout freak. 
he didn't tell me he was a workout freak. That's the word I'd be using because if you like running long distances a lot, you're a workout freak in my book. So it is a, a term of endearment for me. Very cool guy. Very cool story. Let's check out our conversation, shall we? What is going on? It's a pleasure to welcome another Jason to the show. What's happening, my friend? Hey, I'm doing well. Excited to be here. Great to talk to another Jason as well. Awesome. 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 So I do not know the story about you. Tell me how you got started down the road uh, with real estate investing. Sure. I actually had another friend named Jason Wright. So when I first saw that come up, I was like, oh, that's very interesting because it's been years. He uh, he actually did very well in the granola business of, of all things uh, coming from where he was. I don't think he's in that business anymore. But little about me, uh, my name is Jason Yerusi of Yerusi Holdings. Uh, we're a multifamily investment firm. Um, we're in Tennessee now. I was born and raised in New Jersey, lived in New York City for about a decade. We moved down here about two years ago. Um, since 2016, we've acquired about uh, maybe around like 2,500 units. Uh, about 90% of it's in-place multifamily. The other 10% is a mix between self-storage, um, office, and some development projects. Came from the bar world. I, I was a bartender you know, more more than a decade ago, living in New York City, that's where I met my my now wife, opened restaurants, opened sort of brewery, was in the bar uh, industry from opening bars. And then Hurricane Sandy happened in New Jersey. It was a big storm, ravished the East Coast. My dad just retired, but had a business that was um, targeted on house moving and house lifting. And so his business went from doing 10, 12 projects a year when Hurricane Sandy happened to about two to 300 at our peak. So my brother was working for me at the time, my younger brother, my now wife, Peely, we all moved to New Jersey to help dad with his business going 20X just overnight, you know, the amount of calls he got. So we ended up doing that for a number of years. And what, what just continued to just go was that Peely's pregnant with our first kid. That's my wife. And what we were finding is that we were losing our battle with time. The day was driving us. Every job we did from the bar world now to the construction world was we having to do something to get a result. And if we had 25 hours in a day, eight days a week in the construction world with how busy it was, we could have used them. But we want to find a way to get our time back. And so we thought that the logical step was to do real estate. But with that big blue ocean, you know, what does that mean? So here's Peely pregnant with our first kid. She's out there getting a real estate license. We start flipping houses, wholesaling houses, doing Airbnb. And we were just comboing, still doing a construction role, all this busy on top of busy. Found um, someone who was investing in rentals out of state. And Peely actually met at just a meetup. And lo and behold, that was the first little glimpse of a light bulb went off where we started buying two and three units out of state being able to put together practices like we had done when we were opening restaurants and bars and breweries before. And lo and behold, we start getting money in the mail. Just that great little thing. But that said, it wasn't going to be achievable or attainable or just really create the value we wanted. We just kept asking the question, like, what else is there? And came upon someone just buying apartment buildings. And that was that aha moment that we were like, wow, that, that's really interesting. Dove all into that. That was right at that 2016 mark, probably into 2015. Brought our first uh, 94 unit. That was in uh, 2017. And that, that was that really start of leading us to where we stand today. Beautiful. A couple things out of what you said. So I live in a small town called Martinsville, Indiana, and it's a little bit south of Indianapolis. There's another guy here named Jason Wright as well. And he's also 
six five or six six. I'm six five. I think he might be taller. I've never met him, but he's from here. So when I meet somebody new, they're like, "Oh yeah, I went to school with you." I'm like, "It's not the same person." That's funny. He doesn't even look like me. It's like it's not the same guy. But that's crazy. And then uh, thinking about your dad's business, what did what did that conversation sound like when he called you up? He's like, "Son, this stuff's blowing up." How do you even process a twenty x increase in demand overnight? Like that's got to be super kind of exciting and super overwhelming at the same time. So I come from a stubborn construction family. My dad called me up saying he needs help does not happen. So, so on that front, um, it was more that we saw this and saw everything that was coming upon my dad. And my dad is very skilled, the, the most amazing. He can do the most complicated projects in the world. We've moved everything from little shacks to buildings that are, you know, 10 townhomes together, 500 ton buildings moving a mile and a half. So no one knows better what to do in very, very intricate projects. And he was the call. However, he was a one man's shop, which many older people, you know, old timers and still a lot of people today are. And so we went out and just helped take on all the influx of chaos. And that was how you would call it. So what was my background is I, I took a restaurant that, and a bar, probably it was at the time when I was there, the biggest New York City outdoor bar, uh, 25 times, right? I took it from having, you know, 10 people come to on a Saturday, 5,000 people. So I saw just the formulation that when you scale, it's chaos. I mean, it just, there's no other way around it because as you prepare, you get to a plateau and that plateau is a, is a breaker, right? That usual pinnacle moment when you're hiring is that you either don't hire enough, right? So you have to rush to get people in place or rough, rush to get operation in place or something, or you hire too many with the hope or note that that will come. And that's usually the hard part to say is that we're going to put all these people in place because, you know, if you build it, it will come, right? Most of the time, most of us fall at that part where we either hit that plateau and we fall back to what we're used to and just don't take it on, right? Because that could have been the path or take it on, but have to figure it out, right? Building the plane as, as it goes down. So my dad, he just, he had so much of just equipment and all these other pieces, but he was still just a one-man shop. He had one man, a couple guys. And the reason for this and the hard scalability on a, on a thing that is so intensive, like house lifting, is that it's, it's very complicated. If I'm going to go take your home, it's your prized possession. It could be anything 30, 50, 100 tons, and we're going to lift it up based on a, a number of just, we'll say, almost barbaric tactics that, that are still in place today. There's a lot of risk associated. So in, unlike a job where it's a, you know, you're, you're going to do some framing work, you can, you can bring on a helper and you can help that helper get through. The, uh, the downside risk is very hard on, on a project that, that's this involved. So you could scale to a part of comfort, but it takes a long time to have the right people around you because you are really like a 25 cent fitting away from monumental destruction or collapse or, or just injury of worst case, right? People get hurt in the industry because of just the, that. So my dad's always kept it very close to the best. But for us to scale, it's even that same part because you're in three different modes, right? You're taking out a lot of risk allocation because you're doing the engineering side, it's the heavy labor work, and you also have to be really an operator from both because there's so much heavy equipment moving around. Yeah. So on three sides of it, it, it was never easy. And just like anything today, to find the, the people that can be dialed in because with just the complicated nature of it, it's also, uh, it's, a, it's just a very difficult business. So we continued to grow and put people on board and put people in place and allowed us to scale. And my brother who was working for me, he really was able to come on 
and learn running with my dad, very, very highly attuned where at the end he was running the business before we got my dad to retirement. And then I would handle the office side. So that said, it was a great learning experience. It's never two things, never, never easy working in an Italian family when it went to South Park. And it was just a, a great opportunity just to really learn all sides of it, right? Because most of the time when you, when you see things and you're so deep into it, it's hard to look at it at real time of what a learning experience was from it. But when you look back on it, I mean, on most cases, right, there's so much value to learn because you are exposed to so many different situations. It's like when you look at college, it's like I, I have a finance degree and you think you'll never use it. And then it's now there's all different capacities of what I use it for into my day to day. So it's hard to see when you're into it, like, where's the value going to be? But when you look back at it, you say, I can see how that was always beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff, man. So looking at your business today, what are the asset classes and or markets that you typically focus on and why? Yeah, so main driver is I could just stay around Nashville MSA, I would stay here, right? That's been a great driving market for us. We really like it here. So I have um, in-place multifamily is all, all BNC assets. Of course, we have development coming on, everything from 1172 and 236 that, of course, will get built You know, with the mini plane Class A. And then the uh, storage, the storage is all about 1970s, 1980s built. However, we're in five other markets that we have properties in now. We have one class A that's in Cleveland. It was a new construction that we just had an opportunity come in front of us. And then the rest models around that, we'll say C plus B range in the other markets that we're in. If I could pick my primary market, like even in Tennessee, I don't go to Memphis, I don't go to Clarksville, I don't go to Knoxville. I'm, I'm just in Nashville. Really believe in the market, really like the market, even with all the um, new construction coming online, it just it has so many different drivers. You know, top market for, for new employer growth here just came out. There are just so many different things that are going to drive this market. And the market, I'm in Murfreesboro, which is about 25-ish minutes south of Nashville. And this market is just incredible. Not enough supply, ton of demand. The ability to put new units on, they have a, a moratorium on, on the sewer capacity, right? So it just drives a lot of different reasons why this market continues to just explode. That said, you know, some of the other markets we're in, we're in Atlanta, we're in Little Rock, I'm in uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, right? So we're in a couple of those other markets where we've been highly selective on the properties we go after there. When we started, so I'll, I'll say this for any new listener, we just stayed in one market. I brought up maybe 450 units and it was just in Louisville. And that was our main market. And the thing that allowed us to do very well there is that we got hyper-focused on what we wanted to go after. So it allowed us to beat others to the opportunity when it presented it. So we went after 75 to 150 units, BC assets built between 1970 and 2005 in the South Central submarket. At that time, valued between three and seven million. So although that could have eliminated opportunities from us, it actually brought us to the right opportunity a lot quicker. We knew exactly what our comparables would be. We knew exactly from an expense per unit what it would operate, whether it was an all-owner paid or tenant paid utility property, knew exactly how tax were assessed, where insurance would fall. So from that standpoint, as an operator, I was highly efficient to know exactly how the property would operate. But because we just brought in this area, we were having people come into our ecosystem who would bring us this product because they knew we were the go-to for that. 
as we've continued to expand and continue to grow, and because we were able to build out a system that we knew worked for us, then we started going into other markets. So for anyone new listening, we didn't start in all these markets. We stayed in one market to make sure we were crystal clear on our business plan before we started exposing ourselves to other markets. Got it. I like it. Just curious, because I'm sure you know this as well. Uh, so many people I talk to have a focus on Dallas, Houston, Phoenix. Is there any reason you haven't gone to those areas yet? Is it because everybody's there or what are your thoughts? You know, you can win anywhere. You can win anywhere. Yeah. And so, you know, people always like the grass always seems greener, but the grass is green everywhere. You got people in every single market brushing it. I stood in a room one time and there was a guy in New York telling the guy from Los Angeles that he was so lucky he lived in Los Angeles because of the investment opportunities. In the opposite side of the room, there was a guy in Los Angeles telling the guy from New York he was so, so lucky. It always seems greener out there. Yeah. But honestly, we did look at Texas and San Antonio when we were living in New Jersey, one of the first markets. And where I stopped was that Louisville and Greensboro, which were the two markets we were looking at in the first place, you could get there in a day and get back where I couldn't do that in Texas. And it just seemed harder to get that. And the same thing too, even with the Phoenix, fantastic market, but it's really, it was on the opposite side of the country for me. Yeah. Right. So even with say, you know, some of our, our mastermind members, they would just, listen, there's so many markets around you. You're in Seattle, Washington, and you're telling me you're going to go to, I don't know, Orlando. That's such a beast. Unless you have inherent knowledge to there, you have some intricate knowledge that would really drive that that should be your market. There's so many other markets that'd be better suited for you. Yep. It makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, and I hope somebody listening paid attention to what you just said, because that might save them some heartache for sure. What simple marketing strategies and tactics have allowed you to get traction initially, you know, attracting new investors into your business? Ideally, there's always ways to get new investors, but the best way is to have current investors have referrals. Yeah, referral towards that. It's always the best way. And if it's right right now for someone or it's not the right time for someone, they still could have a referral for you. Yep. Yeah, no problem at all. Like, I'm here when you need me. Anybody else you think I should be talking to? Yeah. Almost 90% plus, there'll be a person that wants to provide somebody else for you to talk to. Yep. And it's always a value because it's a much better conversation. Even like we talked those first units that I had in Louisville, that was just our circle. You go outside your circle when it's time, but like, because when you start having this big marketing funnel, like you're in competing against the realty moguls, the fun rises, the grand, you, you name it, right? There's always other people and you're just now another person in this big blue ocean that they have to go navigate the waters through to say, okay, who's this person? So the more that you can have a direct connection or one or two steps removed, the better conversation will have be, but it'll also bring the right investors into you because they they will have the similar like kind and already know how the other person, like what kind of opportunities they're seeking. So it'll be an easier conversation for you on the back end. Yeah, I love that. And I agree. Uh, that's been our key to growth in this business of mine. You, you see so many people that spend a ton of money on paid ads, whether it's for 506C investments or businesses like mine, and they're trying to get new clients. But like I told somebody earlier this week, a warm referral will always convert better than somebody you get from ice cold traffic like ads. So, and it's such, such an easier conversation. Like you say, it's like, hey, if this makes sense, we can get you rolling. If not, like, no worries. So, when you can stay in a place of uh, confidence and comfort and focus on what you're doing best and how you're helping your investors, it's always going to be better 
than coming from a place where like, man, this guy seems kind of desperate. Like what's going on here? You know? So great advice. All right. Switch gears a little bit here with you. What's been the biggest mistake or the biggest regret you have in regards to your marketing so far? Anything stand out? In regards to marketing, honestly, you got to have a clear message and you have to keep with it. It's like the same thing when we were like wholesaling or doing like flips. The narrative, when you see a lot of wholesalers, they get real busy. And so they stop the marketing thinking I'm busy, but that then the marketing stops. So by the time you pick up the market again, then you have that dry channel when things do cool down because you need to pick up again. So consistency is key in anything. So just your podcast, do it right. It has to be consistent. It has to have a certain time. It's going to come out the number because then people get used to the reps and get used to the experience. If you think about, I don't know, put a TV show on like Friends. If Friends was on like Saturday at 4 a.m. and then it was on like Sunday at 6 and then Tuesday at 6 p.m., it wouldn't have had the experience, but people would get used to the, the repetition of when it happens. Yep. This is completely off topic, but uh, my wife and I, so I was born in 81. Uh, my wife and I were telling our kids the other day, when you used to want to watch a show, you had to see it when it came on because if you missed yep. it, there was no you know, Netflix and people weren't recording stuff. And then later the VCR and all that came around, but they have no idea what I'm talking about. They're like, no, they're now, you know, so yeah. Yeah. It's a whole experience of life for sure. All right. This will be interesting. I'm going to mix this up for you a little bit. Can you share a story about your real estate journey or your entrepreneurial journey? Anything that stands out to you that you haven't shared on another podcast or shared publicly, that's kind of funny or different or had a big lesson, just some crazy story that's happened in your journey. Trying to get some Jason here from my audience. You know, there's always in a story. I have a bulldog now. She's seven, but I had a bulldog who lasted all the way to 15. He would come everywhere. So when we were doing the house, that he would go and quote, unquote, whatever, drive around with me. And so I just leave the car all the time. I would look at so many jobs, all those jobs. I, I, like, I did like two years each. I did like 200,000 miles like driving. It was like ridiculous. So when Sandy happened, all these roads were just like deserted. So, so I would just leave the car running with just him in the car. And so like one day, like I'm out there like measuring up houses or whatever. And uh, I hear like this loud honk and this, you could just do whatever because no one was down in these beach towns. So I was like on the wrong way on a one-way street. And there was some like dump truck. And the dump truck is uh, in the middle of the road, beeping up at my uh, Tahoe that's in the middle of the road. And all I see is my dog up on the steering wheel looking back at him. And I was like, the dog's got no thumbs, man. You know, like you have to wait for me to get out there. I'll be right out. It was just like a stare down between this guy and the dog. The doors open, you know, so. That, that, oh, God, that's funny. The dog's got no thumbs. Yeah. That's the greatest. That's the best answer I've ever heard to that question. That's so funny, man. Oh, that's funny. All right. So if you were going to talk to somebody else today who's like, hey, Jason, man, I want to start, you know, raising capital for my own deals. You know, I've never done this capital raising thing. So I have these conversations every week with people. What's the one thing you would tell them? in regards to their marketing they should do from the beginning? Well, going to have a deal because that's always the wrong thing, right? Because especially like, I don't know where you're going to come from, but like if people knew me, but in the same part, they didn't know me doing multifamily investing. So we had the wise guidance come back to us, start, start talking to your investor before you have the project. So we made a one sheet of what we were going to find, our avatar property. And then we started going out to talk to our friends because when you do that, they have to know you, right? And even if they know you, why you're doing this, and then, so Jason, the barge under construction, doing all these different things. So they knew I would come and just make it happen of what I did, but I'm into this new space with. So now it's going to be, why am I doing this? What is so great about this space? What's so great about the multifamily space? 
what are you doing here in this multifamily space? Well, we bring in investors because we're offering these type of opportunities. So this is how it could be a benefit to you. And then give them the time to understand the process. And so really, you're educating the investors. That's where it has to go because you can go talk to how fantastic, you know, Phoenix or pick your market is, all these magical things that are happening. And people are like, I have no idea what this means and like how this works. That even what this was offering. So you need to let them know about you, why you like this space and how it works. And most importantly, how it could provide value to them. And if you do that, then when the opportunity is in front of you, they're going to have a much easier decision. So our first deal, we raised like, I don't know, seven or $800,000. We did it in a day because we had spent the months before educating our investors on what we're going to do, why we like it and how it can win for them. So when we had it, we just did it because it was already done. Yeah. That's great advice. I like that, man. All right. So we're recording this podcast late April, 2023. As you look forward to the rest of the year, what are you most focused on in your business? Honestly, we keep the route that we want to close and look to, to acquire an opportunity every quarter. So that, that's always one. And so we always put the framework. Now we don't force ourselves to, but we find if we keep that, it keeps us accountable to our actions. That said, just continuing to refine our practices, you know, of the properties we have. We started managing in-house a number of properties that were those mid-sized properties that were a little more aloof or just from just our main tier of properties. So we're continuing to scale that business out and that's done very well for us. We've found a very good success rate. So continue to bring on the right team and just look forward about where are the pieces of our business that we can need to continue to optimize. Yep. Very nice. If anybody watching or listening wants to get more info about you or learn more about what you're doing, how can the best do so? Sure. So you can find us at yarusiholdings.com. It's Y-A-R-U-S-I holdings.com. Find everything about our company, what we do, we work on. You want to learn more about investing. Uh, we'd be happy to talk to you there, whether it's on the education side or it's on the investment side. Very nice. Well, I really enjoyed this episode. Again, the bulldog with no thumbs, one of the funniest things I've heard in podcasting in a long time. So I appreciate that and all your knowledge as well, my friend. Jason, this has been awesome. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for listening to this episode of the show. I had a great time making it and I hope you really enjoyed yourself listening to it. If you want to keep up with all things Real Estate Investor Marketing Stories podcast related, I encourage you strongly to go to reimarketingstories.com and signing up for our podcast newsletter. We will simply keep you up to date with what's going on with the show, new episodes, and things like that. reimarketingstories.com. So hopefully today's episode and the other episodes that you'll listen to will remind you that as a real estate investor, everybody starts at the beginning, okay? Um, our guest today and the other guests that you will hear on this show will share their real story, right? They'll tell you what worked, what didn't work. And I want you to remember one thing if you remember nothing else today. It's possible for you to, okay? Never stop going and keep following your passion. Finally, today's show has been brought to you by CapitalRaisingAutomations.com. If you're an active capital raiser and you are ready to learn the three areas that are holding you back from raising more capital, I strongly suggest you check out CapitalRaisingAutomations.com. Check out our free 10-minute video there, and you let me know if it doesn't provide you value. I'm sure it will. 
All right. Thanks again for listening to the show this week. Hope to see you next time. Take care.